Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand via Zoom. Hi, guys. Hey, hello. How you doing? Ben Wave. There you go, Mike. Thank you. We need yeah, routine. Sorry. Yeah. This is a football podcast. We're men of routine. We need to stick to it. Um, I think the, the Vikings going up against the 0-5 Falcons this week, interim head coach Raheem Morris. Um, it's going to be an interesting game in the sense that Dalvin Cook could play, probably won't play, but the Vikings are still holding out the possibility that he will play because Mike Zimmer, anything short of a season-ending injury, is going to say, hey, the guy might be out there. Um, and Dalvin sometimes, Cook, even when it is almost a season-ending injury, it's just a tweak. So even that does not get Zim to break character. The guy is committed to the bed. We can say that. I shouldn't sell him short. You're absolutely right. Even when it is a neck injury, spinal injury, it's still just a tweak. Um, Dalvin Cook, though, seemed to have just tweaked his groin because we got to talk to Dalvin. He had said it's in a weird spot. He thought it was just a cramp at first. Um, So we'll get into Dalvin, kind of the outlook for him with the Vikings bye week coming up. And then we will get into Alexander Madison against this uh, Falcons defense. Um, th- what kind of this Atlanta team still has going for it and may- maybe some kind of what feels like upset potential, because I guess the Vikings are probably favorite- favorites in this game. Um, but Ben, let's start with Dalvin Cook. We heard from him today about this injury. Um, what did he have to say regarding that and maybe his chances or maybe what he's learned too about kind of dealing with these kind of soft tissue injuries? Yeah, I, I thought he did a really good job of staying on the script of we're going to keep this, you know, talking about day by day. I'm, I think he did. I'm sure Mike Zimmer was thrilled to hear him kind of stick with the idea of, uh, yeah, we're going to see how this goes all week. <laughs> In all seriousness, no, I, I think um, he, I think last year talked quite a bit with the hamstring injury he had in 2018. Adam Thielen got hurt last year and he said, Dalvin said my, his advice to Thielen would be, you know, shut it down and don't try to play through it because sometimes those things turn into longer injuries than you would otherwise have. And um, I, I, he kind of talked about that a little bit today of, I, I know how this thing works. I'm in year four and it, it struck me as the most, um, I don't want to say the most honest answer because it, you know, it's, it's hard to know all the time, but I don't think he's going to play. And that's from a couple of conversations with people this week about how this is going to go. I, I think they will shut it down, give him two weeks to go to the bye. I think they have learned something from trying to, you know, kind of play footsie with these um, soft tissue injuries in the past couple of years. And now it's turned into a bigger deal and they need him coming out of that bye, if they have any chance to beat the Packers at Lambeau Field. So I think this is one you figure you can win without him. And I thought his answer about that kind of knowing I need to take care of my body and uh, I've, I've been through this enough now to kind of know how this works. Um, I, I thought that was fairly telling. You got to let your body naturally heal. I'm in year four. I kind of know how this thing operates. I'm going to get as much treatment as I can, stay in my routine, he said, according to a tweet from Andrew Kramer. <laughs> um, it's, it's Mike, I, I, 
Mike, I know, I know Vikings coaches or really any NFL coach is never going to want to look ahead of, you know, Sunday's game, never going to want to get ahead of the one game, but you got to, when you're looking at Dalvin, as, as Ben just said, and you're looking at a guy that you rely so heavily on and you see a divisional game coming up in uh, right after the bye. So basically two weeks from Sunday, um, they've got to be looking at that game, right. For Dalvin cook, as opposed to thinking we got to rush him out there against the Falcons. I would think so. I mean, uh, that said, we've we've heard Zimmer enough times say if someone's healthy enough to play, they're going to play that they don't, you know, maybe they don't think about these things in the same way we do where we're like, well, it's obvious if you have a bye after this week that, you know, the, that extra week where you don't have to worry about, <clears throat> you know, playing, you know, another, you know, a week right after if you've got, you know, two and a half weeks essentially now to to get healed up, that that would be the a smart move. That, that said, it, 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 it does just make sense. You're, you're going against an opponent that's not as good. Madison looked really good for the most part against Seattle. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest quibble we have is probably on the biggest play of the game where, you know, maybe there's someone with, with Dalvin's experience maybe makes a different read on that fourth and fourth and one play and maybe gets that yard or, or you know, walks into the end zone if he goes right. But Madison's a good running back. They, they probably have enough to, to beat Atlanta, although, you know, playing a team that just fired its coach is not as preferable to playing a team that's just about to fire its coach. Um, so, you know, Atlanta could be a, a little bit more fired up than, say, Houston, uh, which, you know, fired their coach right after they lost to the Vikings. But Yeah, we get to sample both flavors this year. We do. Yeah, we do. It's, uh, Before and after. Yeah. So, and it's, I think it's, you know, it's, I think when a team fires its coach, there is the potential that they can be a little bit more motivated the next week, whether players felt bad about, you know, how that, how that happened, or if they were kind of getting disgruntled, it's a new voice, but not to get too far off script. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I I feel like resting Dalvin is the, is the pretty obvious move in this case. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, when you're looking at this Falcons defense too, that's gotta be one of the biggest considerations because um, just looking at the stats here, the Falcons defense has allowed six, allowed six touchdowns, excuse me, four of them receiving two running backs so far this year, and that's just in five games. They've allowed four different backs to go over 100 yards from scrimmage, basically everybody they play. And the one who didn't, the one who didn't was Chris Carson with the Seahawks, who surely could have if he got more than 12 touches in that game. So um, this Falcons defense is not good. They've got Grady Jarrett. They've got uh, Deion Jones at linebacker, but even he's been underwhelming since he came out. So they just don't have a whole lot of talent right now. And that's why Dan Quinn got fired. When you bring up Raheem Morris stepping in and then playing more aggressively or with more fire, it's because um, clearly whatever Dan Quinn was trying to do, that's the former Seattle Seahawks assistant who was hired there in 2015, clearly wore out. I mean, this Falcons team, guys, was 24 and 29. I looked this up today. 24 and 29 since they dropped that Super Bowl lead. Um, how far they've fallen. Um, ben, what do you think about kind of this Falcons team in general? Uh, when we were looking at them thinking, hey, that Matt Ryan, MVP, about to be a Super Bowl MVP if they hold on to that lead just four years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about Dan Quinn, we should point out too that Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager that orchestrated that team, and then I think it has it had been there quite a long time. I, I think that even dates back to like, they they had a couple of years there where, I think in 2010, they were the number one seed, and then the Packers went in there and beat them up in the second round, and they made it to an NFC title game, I think, in 2012 that they hosted, I want to say, against the 49ers. The Kaepernick 49ers beat them. Um, so they've had a, a pretty long run with Thomas Dimitrov. They fired him as part of this as well. So you talk about talent, that 
is encompassed in their decision to clean house in the front office as well as with the head coach. But yeah, I mean, that's an interesting team because they've had kind of the opposite approach of the Vikings in some ways that they've spent a lot of money and a lot of resources having a high profile offense and set records a few years back with Kyle Shanahan calling plays, but it had not, I mean that you wonder how much that's made a difference too, just not having him, you know, pulling the trigger on what they're going to do offensively, especially with a defensive head coach and Dan Quinn. I wonder how much that the brain drain of not having Shanahan. And I, I think Matt LaFleur on that staff probably as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, I, th- I think he was in Atlanta with that team. So, you know, two guys that obviously are, are fairly successful NFL head coaches. Now you wonder how much that has played into it too, but you know, Matt Ryan, probably has some things in common with Kirk Cousins in the sense that he puts up flashy numbers, except when I need him to win a fantasy game for me last week, but he doesn't tend to have the greatest reputation in big games. And it, you know, he's kind of a guy that's probably at crossroads here a little bit. I, I wonder if this may be the last run for him in Atlanta if you get somebody that comes in new and, and tries to clean house, I, I could see this kind of being the end of the era for him as well. You talk about the talent. The Falcons have, um, I think Zimmer pointed out today, five first-round picks along the offensive line. Not all of them their first-round picks, but veterans that they've signed to plug holes there. They've certainly tried to protect Matt Ryan. Um, you've got Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. You've got They bring in Todd Gurley. They traded for Hayden Hurst with Baltimore. Um, this Falcons team is loaded, but the problem with the coaching, as you brought up, since that Super Bowl and Kyle Shanahan left, they've had Steve Sarkeesian for two years, fired him. Then they had uh, Dirk Cutter now in his second year, and it's just not getting it done. It's been a really bad um, coordinated offense to the point where they're getting 16 points a game these last two losses. And Matt Ryan hasn't thrown a touchdown pass uh, since week three. It's been 11 quarters for Matt Ryan. So this Viking, this, this Viking. I really should. <laughs> This will turn into Ben's uh, fantasy football hour. Um, I like that, though. See, because you have Derrick Henry and Matt Ryan. That's a tough go. But, hey, yeah. did, did you start him for Tuesday night, the Tuesday night game? Uh, Henry, I did. I was down by so much because of the Matty Ice meltdown that uh, I it didn't matter. I, I was 3-0, and and then <laughs> Titans COVID thing hit. And, I, I, yeah, I, I have Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford can only start one. Um if, if anybody's got – it's going to be Stafford this week, I think. But, uh, Andrew, should I start Matt Ryan against the Vikings? we got to put uh, – that's just it. I, I think this could be – Trying to the phrase v- is like a fantasy football tweet that we all get on Saturday or on Sunday mornings. Vikings secondary, yeah, it could. It could be – you know what, I'll give you the advice right here. I think it could be the secondary that gets this Falcons offense going. But I think some of the problems are bigger, though, than um, just not having Julio Jones because Julio Jones has had a pulled hamstring. He's been out for a few games. Um, Matt Ryan just hasn't looked that good. He's missed reads. He's overthrown balls. I haven't watched too much outside of his game last week against the Panthers, but it wasn't very good. Um, and, I, and I think you're used to seeing a lot better from him. And so I'm curious to see how it goes with Calvin Ridley against Cameron Dantzler. And Cameron Dantzler had about as nightmarish of an ending as you could possibly have if you're a rookie cornerback. Um, Mike, when you're watching that game, I was also watching from home because Ben and Chip Scoggins were our only two people in Seattle. But I thought the Vikings were going to win it. As, a, as more of somebody who's followed this team longer, um, like you have, Mike, what were you thinking when Russell Wilson's marching down the field? Did you have more of a fatalistic viewpoint of it? 
I sure did, Andrew. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't feel good at any time, really. I mean, you know, anything when you get it to fourth down, you feel like, I guess, that there's, you know, a, a, there, there was, I felt like there was a chance they could, they could get out of that and, and win. You know, I felt, I think I felt better. I felt better on the fourth and 10 than I did on the fourth and six, uh, the fourth and goal at the end. I, I, on the fourth and 10, I was like, you know, they, they've, they've kind of done a pretty good job against Russell Wilson all game. If they can make one more play here and either get a pass rush or get, you know, get it forced him to throw, throw an errant pass. Um, and so when that ball was in the air, I was like, boy, that doesn't look like a very high percentage throw. And then of course it's caught. And then from there, I did not feel good. I thought that they were going to score. And even when they got it to fourth down, uh, even when they got that nice play to the pass breakup that showed like it was going to be a touchdown until he didn't bring it to the ground. I thought that the, I thought that they were going to score. I thought um, when they didn't convert that fourth down run, which again, I thought was a good call. I thought that was the right decision because um, I, I didn't like their chances of keeping that game out of overtime. If, if they kick a field goal there, but I, I thought as soon as that happened, I was like, Oh, this ain't good. Yeah, Cameron Dantzler, as you just mentioned, Mike, on that fourth and ten pass, um, that was one to me where he, he was in such good position on it. He just lost the ball, but that was one where finally the Seahawks were attacking an area for the Vikings where the Vikings were showing them like a quarter coverage the entire night. They were dropping four deep, trying to prevent Russell Wilson from throwing it, and it was working. And at some point, the Seahawks finally went, all right, we're just going to run this kind of double move. DK will fake inside a little bit run a fade to the sideline and we're just going to throw it up. And Mike, as you said, when we were talking before the podcast, it was basically either DPI they were hoping for on camera Dantzler or an amazing catch with DK going up to get it. And the rookie looking like a rookie. Um, And then of course, Cameron covered the wrong guy on the touchdown on fourth and goal. Um, And Anthony Harris wasn't even really supposed to be on DK Metcalf at that point, but he was just basically trying to cover for his teammate and jumped onto him and tried to get that ball loose. But it was a bad ending for Dantzler. It, it, it's one of those things where you remember, you have to remember, yeah, these guys are rookies. Even if throughout the game, they look like they were kind of holding one of the best quarterbacks down. Um, and going up against Atlanta, I don't think it's going to be necessarily, it's not Russell Wilson. It's not certainly as difficult of a task, but I think it's one where we could see some more rookie moments. If for instance, Julio Jones comes out there and plays. So, well, and, and let's not forget too. I mean, as much as we've talked about, you know, two pretty excruciating losses for the Vikings against both Tennessee and then the Seahawks last week. I mean, the Falcons, even though they're 0 5, they they had two games this year where they were up 15 and 16 points midway through the fourth quarter against the Bears and the, the Cowboys and managed to lose both of those games. So they they've held big leads in the fourth. This is a team that can score points and can, you know, can put a you know, even a decent team like Dallas or Chicago into a bad situation. Now they, they didn't hold either of those leads, but you know, that's not to say that they wouldn't. Um, all right. Well, let's quick get to a couple items before we transition to your questions. Uh, of course, every week, please send us questions on Twitter. You can send them to me at Andrew underscore Kramer. That's K R A M M E R. Um, Viking, uh, excuse me, Ben, the Vikings practice today, um, Wednesday of this week. Why don't you give us the update on whether or not Dalvin cook was out there? Yes. So they moved things inside today, which means in this year of COVID, we have pool reporters. I am one of those was not in practice today because flight got delayed on the way back from Seattle. So missed the COVID testing on Monday. It's just a little for anybody who's interested, a little window into how this works. 
this year. So uh, according to what they saw, Dalvin Cook not practicing, K.J. Osborne, Holton Hill, Julio Johnson also out. Osborne and Hill injuries are known. Johnson will get the injury report a little bit later unless I'm misremembering that. Uh, Pat Elfline, Troy Dye not practicing, and uh, Daniel Hunter not seen during practice, which has been the case for some time. So that's your injury report, at least in the early stages of the week. As as expected, no surprise there, right, with Dalvin Cook? As expected, no surprise there, as as we, as I reported months ago. Dalvin Cook not practicing. <laughs> what? No one will get that. But those oh, I got it. Thinking, what? Well, what? You guys uh, got it, but no one else. I got it. it. What? And then Zimmer gives kind of a. He hasn't been given the most friendly Daniel Hunter quotes, but what was his Daniel Hunter quote today? Rolling just, over his options, I think. Right. Yeah, he was. He was just asked about. Um, whether there's any clarity and of course there is, but they're just not going to mention it. Um, when Dalvin or excuse me, Daniel Hunter got his second opinion in New York, uh, two weeks ago. And this was the first time that he was allowed to actually return to practice two weeks ago. And instead he went to, he left the state to go get another opinion on this neck injury. That's is probably going to hold him out. It would seem for the year. Um, but Mike Zimmer said he's still mulling his options, which would indicate that he's either thinking about surgery, which would be season ending certainly, um, or, trying to fight through that and come back and play. I don't know what other options there would be. Maybe shutting it down and, and recovering without surgery, but those are basically your three options. So I just, I don't see a situation where for a one in four team, maybe if they're two and four at the bye, why? I don't know. Ben, if, somehow maybe if they, I guess they're in playoff contention in December and he hasn't had surgery, maybe he decides to come back. I don't know. Sure. I mean, do it then, but I wouldn't rush back without surgery, especially when, we should mention you are the 18th highest paid edge rusher in the league. I, I think that's where it stands now. And that contract he signed was team friendly at the time. It is decidedly below market now. And <clears throat> I have been told through this whole thing, this is not a holdout. This, I mean, that this was not something that was related to it, that the Vikings wouldn't want to have that type of an a standoff that type of an appearance with Dalvin or Dalvin Cook, Daniel Hunter, because of the way they feel about him, the way he's conducted himself, they they would want to do right by him if that were a concern. I do think though that when you're playing on that contract and you're sitting there saying, "I'm still only 25 years old," somehow <laughs> he turns 26 later this month. There's no reason to go out and risk yourself for a team that isn't in the playoff mix. If they can get things together and start winning some games, you can potentially revisit that. I mean, at, at any point, I, I don't think he's going to have any issue getting back in football shape, but I think at this point, I, I wouldn't be in any hurry to come back either, especially when there's not a lot of financial incentive and this sounds callous given what these guys make, but where he is related to the market and how he's performed he has every reason to try to continue to be healthy when he's on the field and perform at his best when he's on the field to show that I'm worth more money than this. And I don't know that trying to rush back from an injury that that could potentially be that serious when you're talking about a neck. Um, I, I don't, I don't see it as being worthwhile. Yeah. The Vikings did a little bit of shuffling on their defensive line, cutting um, 
Hercules Mata'afa, and then bringing in a, a reserve defensive end they signed off Washington's practice squad and Jordan Brailford. Um, but it's going to be the guys that they, they have now. I just I don't see Hunter coming through those doors and saving them uh, midway through this season. So uh, let's get to some questions. You guys got plenty of them. Welcome to the uh, simulcast portion of our program. Michael Rand here at Randball. Um, you can send us questions, send Andrew questions, leave them on Facebook, do what you want. Got a lot of good ones. Let's get to it. Uh, Andrew, do you got one teed up or you want me to go? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Sam Anderson with one of many offensive line related questions said six words I've never thought I'd say together. When is Pat Elfline coming back? I love that question. Uh, we just said not practicing today, but what, what's a longer term prognosis? And this gets to the heart of, uh, you know, the, 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 right guard question, which hasn't been great. You know, Drew Samia has definitely struggled. Yeah. From what I've heard, he's, he wants to come back this year. He wants to come back in the second half of the year. I don't think it's going to be even potentially for that green Bay game after the bye. I think it's going to be even after that, but how far we've come, right? How far <laughs> we've come in, in kind of um, being, he was the most maligned guy by far at that right guard spot, played three different positions in three years. And now fans are clamoring for him to come back. It just doesn't speak well. Um, about Drew Samia and kind of their state right now. Yeah, it's uh, when Drew Samia, as Mike Zimmer said yesterday, or as said on Monday, has been in bad position most of the time. And we've seen that the last few weeks, but I mean, it really showed up Sunday night with all the penalties and, and penalties on, on the offensive line. You usually come when, if your feet aren't in the right place and you have to grab somebody as a last resort, that's usually when you get penalized. And, and some of it, I think is, he, he's got his hands probably in a spot where it's off, off, awfully visible that he's holding. I mean, if you have your hands outside, a lot of times refs have an easier time seeing that. So that's a something he could change too. But a lot of it, I think, has been when you're in a bad spot with your feet and you're in a bad position to play a guy, then you have to resort to last-second grabbing, and uh, that has not helped him out. So, yeah, it's uh, to yeah. see it change this quickly is – it's the NFL, but yeah, we, we sit here pining for Pat Elfline. One of Danny's three uh, DM questions, Danny Carlson, relates to this. So I want to jump in with how horrifically bad Samia has been. Um, not sugarcoating it. The fact that Ezra Cleveland hasn't sniffed playing time has to be concerning, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, at <laughs> some point here, it, I mean, you kind of saw it in training camp when they weren't playing him at tackle and they, they talked about him after the draft as a left tackle of the future to the point where Rick Spielman used the words, keeping the seat warm um, or holding down the fort, I think was the phrase he used some cliche with mm -hmm. Riley reef to imply that Riley reef's time at that position was temporary. We've gone from that to not seeing Ezra Cleveland practice at tackle to not seeing him on the field ahead of Drew Samia in a game when <laughs> the, the things we can all see during games and the things that Mike Zimmer has said, do not speak well of how Samia has played. So the fact that Cleveland has not been on the field tells you a lot, I think. So it's, oh, yeah, uh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if they were to try to get him on the field. I wonder if they would move Dozier to right guard and then put Ezra at left guard where he's been practicing. I think that yeah. might be the way. And maybe they don't want to move two spots to solve one problem right now. I, I don't know. Um, but he played both sides though. I mean, he played some right guard next to Bradbury and O'Neill last year. It wouldn't seem like that would be impossible to do, but yeah, that could be part of it too. 
No, but you're right. If, if Ezra were that good and that much of a solution, he wouldn't be sitting on the bench right now. Um, he yeah. would be in the games. You, you're totally right. I, I guess the only insight I can give is that, you know, I had heard that he didn't have maybe the highest of confidence going through camp. And maybe it's hard to get a, a sense of him building that confidence when during the season, guys like him are not getting reps. They're working the scout team. They're getting um, typically with his Vikings defense, getting worked up against Linval Joseph this year. It's you know, Shamar Stefan and Jaleel Johnson, but he's trying to give the Vikings defense looks right now and not really try to build himself up to be a starter because he's been active as a backup really just to be that eighth guy they have to activate to get two more spots because the NFL has got this rule now where you've got to activate a certain amount of offensive linemen. Um, so I don't know. He hasn't played much at all, not even on special teams. He's not really even a fixture there. So um, it's just been a disappointing start, quiet start for him. And you hope the Vikings have some kind of bigger plans um, for him that go beyond this kind of what's been a disappointing season for that interior offensive line. Really makes you wonder what would have happened if Riley Reef hadn't taken the pay cut and they'd had any kind of. Death. Oh boy. <laughs> Probably Rashad Hill. I mean, well, yeah, he Rashad Hill's right. But I'm saying like, Rashad Hill obviously is the next guy up, but like beyond that, it's probably Cleveland, right? I mean, yeah. what, what would have happened at that point? Would he be, would he have just you know kind of trial by fire and figured it out, or we'd have had another TJ Clemming season? Yeah, <laughs> he's um, an offensive tackle. We got we got one from um, somebody named Control. Uh, oh, social or dirty? He's followed us for quite a while. Um, he asks about um, the wide receiver situation, saying how long until Tajay Sharp is cut and Alexander Hollins is promoted. Uh, ben, what do you think? I have wondered this too. Um, th- I think this is a good question. I've, I've wondered a little bit when they will decide that the cap space they would save with Tajay Sharp not being on the roster, and it would be a few hundred thousand dollars, but that would basically double their available cap space right now. They only have, I think it's like $400,000 in available cap space at the moment. <clears throat> so that would be an easy way if you were not using Tajay Sharp and they're not um, to clear a little bit of that up. I, I have, I think we talked about the, that at the end of training camp, would they cut him? I, I think we mentioned that as a possible uh, surprise cut, so to speak, or a possible veteran cut. And they like Alexander Hollins. I, I think you're probably figuring if we can keep both of these guys, we don't want to have Hollins exposed so that we could potentially lose him. But yeah, I mean, I think we're getting to a point where that's a fair question. I can't imagine he's happy with the lack of playing time and the lack of opportunities in the offense. We really haven't seen, I'm trying to think how many targets he's even had since the fatal, uh, the fateful, not fatal, uh, fatal, the chances to win the game maybe, but fateful fourth and three against the Packers in week one. Yeah, he hasn't. He's now because um, the fourth wide receiver is is Olabisi Johnson and Chad Beebe's been yeah, number three right. um, as kind of that slot guy with Justin Jefferson on the outside a lot of the times. Um, and so I don't, I don't know with Irv Smith, with um, the amount of two tight end offenses they want to run to that they still run. Um, they did it a lot in Seattle. Um, I just don't see I don't see the opportunity for him. So I could see them, honestly, I could see them cutting him to make room for somebody else and just leaving Alexander Hollins on the practice squad because they don't need seven receivers. They've got seven on the active roster. Yeah, right now. And too. I know that counts. It counts as special teamers. So you can say, well, two of them and yeah. KJ Osborne too. So you got, you might want that fifth wide receiver, I guess, a guy who can play offense for you maybe, but 
is it worth it when maybe you might need a spot down the road for somebody else? And you're right, Ben, at some point, um, maybe it's just worth kind of saving that. Quick, quick look at the uh, pro football reference shows me that that was Tajay Sharp's only target of the whole season. Boy. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and that's a guy that they brought in. I think that was the first thing they did after trading Stefan Diggs was, okay, we're going to bring him in to, to help. Now, you didn't have Justin Jefferson on the roster at this point. I mean, it's, it reminds me a little bit in that sense of Latavius Murray coming in to replace Adrian Peterson. And then you drafted Dalvin cook a month later. And then Murray obviously had a bigger role than uh, Tajay Sharp has had, but there was a little bit of that same thing of let's get a veteran here now, and then we'll address it in the draft a month <clears throat> down the road. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's a pretty big change from the way they talked about him in March to the way they're using him now. Um, let's, let's get to a question from Lee. He's kind of on the extreme end of things. He's <laughs> saying, will somebody take, uh, will somebody trade uh, for Kirk the way that Brock Osweiler was dealt for years ago? Of course, he's referencing the time that Houston dumped, did a salary dump to Cleveland, who had a bunch of salary cap space. And they're like, sure, we'll take your draft pick and your quarterback uh, to give you that salary cap relief. Um, Kirk's not that bad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know he's not Vikings fans favorite. I know he's not, um, you know, going to win any NFL MVP awards probably, but um, he's nobody's going to do that because he can play. And and frankly, I I've got a theory, this, this thing I've kicked around, but I think if the Vikings actually consider this and I have no kind of inclination that they're going to consider this, but if they do, Jimmy Garoppolo has been pretty bad, right? He's been pretty hurt. I looked up his contract. You apparently you can cut him after this year and San Francisco can take like nothing in a hit because his contract was so front loaded. So you trade him to San Francisco Kirk, that is. And then you basically offload his $20 million of salary. You have to eat 20 million, but then, Hey, you get a top 10 pick. Maybe it's a quarterback and maybe you just kind of find yourself in a new, uh, new setting. I don't know. I think San Francisco is the great fit though. Cause Kyle Shanahan's always talked about how much he wants Kirk, how much he liked him. Um, basically wanting to, to trade for him or acquire him after Kirk left Washington and it just didn't work out. So um, I don't know that that's my kind of way of saying that they can maybe trade him, but I don't know who else would want him. Well, and we should point out he does not have the no trade clause anymore. He had that in his first deal. He does not have that anymore, but getting a team that would take that contract, I, you'd probably have to restructure it. I think would be <clears throat> how that would go. Um, and I, the Vikings, even in a trade would have to eat the signing bonus, which still has $20 million left on it. So potentially it wouldn't be, I mean, yeah, if you're the 49ers and you said, okay, um, we're going to move on from Garoppolo and we need to go get a guy. I could see that. I, I could also, I, I just, I don't think the Vikings are in tank mode the way that fans want them to be or at least the fans that tweet us uh photoshops of trevor lawrence in a vikings uniform all the time want them to be um i i don't think they're thinking that way i i don't think the front office is inclined to think that way i don't think mike zimmer and his coaching staff are inclined to think that way i think they still feel like we're going to try to ride this out and the the hard reset of let's go get a rookie quarterback i just i don't think is in the thought process right now if you get the right one it opens up a lot of things because then you can do all of that stuff that Mike Zimmer <laughs> talked about before they signed Kirk Cousins, where you have the money to go pay everybody else because you are not paying a quarterback $30 million a year, at least for the first 
five years of it. So if they got to that point and you find the right guy that can come into play right away, and we see that all the time, the, the teams that have young quarterbacks on rookie contracts have an advantage because if those guys can play, they're playing at a level that on the open market would cost $30 million a year and you're paying them like five. So, I mean, that's what, that's part of the reason the Ravens are so good. That's part of the reason the chiefs have been so good. Um, that'll change a little bit as Mahomes gets into his contract, but the structure is still fairly team friendly. Rams took advantage of that. What? Seahawks with Wilson for a while. Seahawks, yes. Um, And we, we, you go down the line of Super Bowl teams in the last decade. um, I I mean, you can even go back to the Packers a little bit with Aaron Rodgers. That was pre CBA. It was also pre um, Rodgers getting really paid, but they basically his first year as a starter, they did a kind of, get ahead of it type deal. We're going to give you cash now in exchange for not paying you probably what you will be worth when you, when it really hits. But there has been a lot of that in this decade. It is a, it's a big financial advantage in the NFL when you can do it. I think if they ever got to that point, it makes a ton of sense, but I just, I don't think they are thinking that way, especially when, as we've heard them say a number of times this week, and I think we will continue to hear them say there is improvement in the secondary, how much, how much of a bump in wins that'll translate to remains to be seen, but the schedule's not that hard in the second half, at least not as hard as it's been to start the season. Yeah, what Mike thinks about the year Teddy's having in uh, Carolina so far? A penny for his thoughts on that. I, I would wow. certainly be willing to uh, pony up to, to hear that. Well, talking about along the lines of kind of ownership's thinking, um, Al asks, are the Vikings going to be sellers at the trade deadline? The trade deadline is November 3rd for the NFL. Um, the Vikings will be playing two days before in Green Bay. And certainly if they don't win that game, they will have a clear idea of where they stand in the division. Ben, what do you think? Well, by the way, only, only the NFL, by the way, would be so, uh, so inclined to keep a uh, trade deadline day that's also election day. Election day. That's fun. Good for them. Half the NFL is turning its stadiums into polling places, and there's all these PSAs about get out and vote, but we can't postpone the trade deadline by one day so that we can make it so that our people can get out and vote. So, Mm -hmm. yes, that's very peak NFL. We did talk about the trade thing last week, though, and it didn't seem like there was a lot that was really that enticing or that they would – it didn't seem like there's a lot of great fits for trades, right? Yeah, because you, you have a lot of guys that are on big contracts that somebody has to, A, want the player, and B, have the room to absorb the contract. And then you have a lot of young guys that are either still, I think, kind of question marks in, in terms of a guy like Mike Hughes or guys that are very much still in their plans, whether it's um, Justin Jefferson, Jeff Glad. I mean, you know, rookies are not even really in the mix, but some of the, the younger guys they have, um, from these last few drafts, I think Irv Smith is a guy they still want to see what happens with him. I mean, you, you're not talking about trading young, cheap players like that. I just there's not a middle class in the roster, which means there's not a lot of obvious trade candidates. I guess the only one that I would be knee jerk on after seeing Irv Smith do something in Seattle is maybe Kyle Rudolph, if you feel that confidently. Yeah. But again, it would it would really undercut what you want to do though, if you put Tyler Conklin in that kind of two tight end set with Irv, I don't know if he's the same kind of run blocker, not that Rudy's been known for that in his career, but um, yeah, I, I could see, I, I would agree with you that potentially being the one um, it, it was also interesting 
there were some snaps on Sunday night that Smith was on the field. I mean, he played almost as many snaps as Rudolph did for the entire game. And they are getting more to the point in passing situations where if they are in 11 personnel or 21 personnel, where they don't have two tight ends on the field, you do start to see Irv Smith more often than you see Kyle Rudolph. So I, I kind of, that stuck in my mind on Sunday night, kind of thinking, okay, the, the shift is starting a little bit here. And when that happens, especially when there's a player making what Kyle Rudolph is making, you do tend to see NFL teams start to think, all right, what's the financial component to this change in playing time that we have going on here? And uh, I, I did know that when Kyle Rudolph was talking through his contract extension, gosh, a year and a half ago, um, I guess the Patriots were a team that I'd heard that was in yes. on him. And so maybe this time around, they're still looking for that kind of an option because um, it looks like they're going to try and get everything out of Cam Newton. They possibly can. And Hey, pair him with a, a big tight end. And maybe that ends up being another help to get to the playoffs. And then who knows what happens um, Boy, between Cam Newton and Kyle Rudolph, you better cash in every time you're in the red zone. <laughs> you, would, you would think so, but you, you would, would think, think so. Would think so even with him on the Vikings and yeah, you know, sometimes it just a heck of a red zone target. It gets underutilized sometimes. I think. Yeah, some of this, yeah, you, some of that could, some of this too could depend on what happens this Sunday. I mean, if they lose this week somehow and then you know lose post by and they're one and six, you could see more of a fire sale approach. You could see something like an Anthony Harris maybe or something like that. If they just that's a good point. Punting on the season kind of at that point and see if we can get some value there. Although I, I'd have to double check. Can you trade Harris? And they can't do a contract. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I thought you still could. It would be. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just that they can't do an extension with him until after. I mean, they cannot do a new contract with him until after okay. the season. But yeah, I yeah, I think you're you're probably right about the trade. Yeah, I think a uh, I think you just can't sign if you haven't or trade him. Excuse me, if you haven't yeah. signed. Yeah. Yeah. Franchise yes. and transition players can be traded. Um, so it was just one of those Real ones where I was like, wait a minute. I always assumed you said, but I should double check that. Um, anyway, uh, are there any other questions we got? Let's get well, Danny's got a good finishing one. Cause this kind of gets to what we just said. I'm, I'm struggling with how to place this team. The flashes they showed in Seattle show they could be competitive. It feels like there's somewhere in between better than tank for Trevor, but also don't have the juice to make a run in the playoffs. Kind of my thought that feels like about what they are. They're like a six or seven win team. Maybe they're better than, Three and thirteen, but they're not as good as nine and seven or ten and six. Yeah, I should. yeah. I'll oh, go ahead. Ben. Go ahead, Andrew. No, <laughs> that was very one and four uh, beat writer kind of attitude. That's eh, go. Ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted to mention that I I'd read um, Football Outsiders and Aaron Schatz did a good piece where they they looked at kind of one and four teams and um, actually how this season has produced statistically with their DVOA and how they kind of assign a value to the efficiency of both offense, defense, and then special teams, the team overall. Um, by doing all that, their numbers that I'm sure Mike Zimmer certainly follows, um, cranked out that the Vikings and the Houston Texans are two of the best one in four teams in NFL history since they've kind of started doing this. I think it goes back to like the 80s. Um, and so with that said, I think there is something to how this team's not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as tank for Trevor. Um, but with that said, he listed all those top teams and the Vikings were um, one of the top 15 that he listed that have gone one and four and been somewhat pretty good. Uh, none of those teams uh, outside of the 04 Bills finished above 500 and, or made the playoffs. So uh, it doesn't end well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how yeah. good you are compared to the numbers. 
you're still just going to be a kind of mediocre team who finishes seven and nine kind of at best. And so yeah. I totally agree with that. To, to finish with a winning record, they did go eight and three the rest of the way. I mean, even against a easier schedule, like I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, that they haven't been that consistent. I mean, you're expecting a sustained run of success. I mean, you're, you're eight and three, you're playing north of 10 win level football for 11 games. I mean, you know, 10 wins would be 666 roughly uh, winning percentage wise. And uh, you'd have to be better than that. So yeah, I, I don't see, I have, I haven't seen yet that level of consistency. And I mean, you look at the schedule after the bye at green Bay, I think given where they're on at right now, it's tough to see that being a win um, home against Detroit is, probably and if we're if we're going to play this out say can they win another eight um that would be one of them at chicago on the 16th of november i don't love it um it's a maybe but it's a yeah it's like a 40 percent kind of maybe yeah I, I think your your like definites would be home against jacksonville um home against carolina carolina's played fairly well um, the teddy bridgewater revenge game yeah, mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, home against the Bears, you got to win if you're going to do anything. Home yeah. against the Cowboys with no Dak Prescott, I think is you could chalk that up if you want to say this is plausible. Uh, against the Lions, so you get two against the Lions, call it one against the Bears, one against the Jaguars, that's four. Um, you win on Sunday, that's five. And then you still need three. So that means you have to win one of at Green Bay, at Chicago, at Tampa, at New Orleans, and then um, Carolina. I suppose I didn't throw in there either, but you have to win. Yeah, what another three of those? So yeah, yeah beating Rodgers, winning at Soldier Field, beating Brady, beating Breeze, all on the road. You got to have three of those probably. I can I can imagine them winning seven or eight games. Yeah, I can't just. I, it's hard for me to get to nine or 10. It's, it's just when you're one and four, even if you're a good one and four team, you just given up, you've given up too much ground. Yeah. And, and the extra playoff spot helps and yeah. everybody keeps mentioning that. But if you looked at it right now, you would have your, your third wild card right now is the saints at three and two. Yeah, so two games, you're two games two back, back, back of that. And you got to figure the saints are going to, probably start to figure things out a little bit. You'd have to go down there and beat them. I mean, that you're, you're talking about that sort of a run if that's going to happen. I mean, and the Panthers are three and two as well. So those are your last two that are in right now. I mean, we got, we got a long ways to go, but yeah, it's, we're talking probably about a level of consistency that they haven't really shown. And then you get into that spot where you're six or seven wins and that's um, a tough place to be, especially when you've got, guys in your roster like Harrison Smith who are already north of 30. Um, Kyle Rudolph, as we've talked about, is probably coming to a crossroads here. Adam Thielen's 30 years old. Kirk Cousins is 32. You know, so it's it's uh, hard to be stuck in the middle as the hockey team in St. Paul can tell you all about. <laughs> I think if you're a Vikings fan, you should, or really, a fan of any team, just be happy that uh, you might get 16 games in during a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. As the NFL tries to enjoy the season. (laughs) Thank goodness for football. That's basically all you can do. 
Um, yep. All right, guys, well, we'll end the podcast there. Thanks for checking us out. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>